Hi, friends. Welcome to another episode of That Sounds Fun. I'm your host, Annie F. Downs. I'm really happy to be here with you today. We have such a great show in store. But before we dive into this conversation, I want to take a quick minute to tell you about one of our amazing partners, CAP. Y'all know I love Christian Appalachian Project. It means so much to me. We talked about him out on the road on the That Sounds Fun tour. You hear me talk about him a lot here. They have been with us for a long time. We are with them. I just love the work that CAP does and how they are actively making the world a better place especially for our neighbors living in Appalachia. For nearly 60 years, CAP has been serving the people of Appalachia by building hope, transforming lives, and sharing Christ's love. Their dedicated staff and volunteers ensure that families have the food on their table and the roof over their head that they need. And in times of heartbreaking and life-altering disaster, they help others put the pieces of their lives back together. CAP gives unconditional love and brings hope to children and families and seniors who would otherwise be marginalized or forgotten. And now that you're friends with CAP, too, I want to invite you to be a part of these incredible stories by making a donation that's meaningful to you or signing up to go volunteer. To learn more, visit christianapp.org. Together, we can help make a brighter tomorrow possible for our neighbors in Appalachia. Again, that's christianapp.org. All right, you guys, today on the show, I am so excited about this episode. Roger Bennett is a broadcaster, a podcaster, a filmmaker who has, through Men in Blazers, which some of you may know, become one of the most prominent soccer broadcasters in the United States. Along with Davo, y'all know Michael Davies, Men in Blazers has turned a weekly Premier League podcast into a popular television show on NBCSN covering a lot of sports, including women's soccer, golf, the NHL, but soccer is their conversation. His new book, Reborn in the USA, An Englishman's Love Letter to His Chosen Home, is a funny and moving memoir where he really traces how he fell in love with America growing up in Liverpool. It's really interesting to hear from the perspective of someone born in another country who chose to move to the U.S. about his thoughts on what America at its best can be. So here is my conversation with host of Men in Blazers and my new friend who I just think so highly of, Raj Bennett. I read the book because I wanted to. I ordered it myself. But also, I watched you and John Green, and you said, I can tell the difference when an interviewer has read the pod- the book and when they haven't. And I was like, oh, Raj is going to know. He's going to know I read the book. <laughs> That's so true and so funny. You and me, he's a, he's a fantastic human being, John Green. He really is. He's life-changing. Yeah. It, you know, one of the reasons I, I'm an Arsenal fan. Are we? Is that okay? Can we talk about that yeah, for a minute? We can talk about whatever you want. Listen, Raj, what am I going to do? What's happening with Arsenal? This is, it feels like we're spiraling. And I love our new manager, but it still feels like we're spiraling. You're a person of faith. <laughs> I am. What, I just have to keep we, believing. What, what do we really know? The, what other choice do we have? What other choice do we have but to keep believing? I listen. I don't trust. I don't trust Arsenal like I trust the Lord. It's not the same. <laughs> you know, it's a, all. There's a lot of human darkness, and uh, so the reality is, Arsenal is just a reflection of the outside world, and uh, you just got to keep grinding away through times good and bad. Annie, is there is the reality? You model that well with your Everton love of like good days and bad days. You just are all in. I think it's uh, being an Everton fan, like being a Chicago Bears fan, being a fan of of so many teams that uh, for whom winning is a fleeting emotion, I think is the greatest way to prepare yourself for the the, the rigors of life where it's filled with challenge um, and those challenges define you. And when you have occasional moments of joy, fleeting moments of joy, just celebrate them. Don't take them for granted and dance like you're at your own your own kid's wedding. Yeah, I mean, I feel like that's one of the gifts that sports offers us in general. I mean, when I when I'm cheering for sport, Raj, is when I like I can be full Annie and go all in, and it it like releases something in me. Is that is that a normal thing? Is that a feeling you have too? Yeah, I love going full Annie and going all in. That's what <laughs> I said in like that's my that's my goal. It's um. I mean, sports is 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 many things. It allows you to feel deep emotions in the safest possible way, no mm-hmm. matter what happens in in whatever sport. At the end of the day, you can feel elation, you can feel devastation, uh, but either way, you still have you know you're still alive, you're yes. still intact. You you emerge from it as you went into it, 
Um, and it's the safest way to feel all of those emotions and ultimately to feel alive, which really means to go full Annie all in. Is this the, is this the podcast, Annie? Are we in it? This is it. Yeah, we're, we're going. Oh, I think I love, is that okay? you. I love it. No, look, I was like waiting for the introduction. I'm so sorry. We no, I we just... Don't... Just, we don't need we don't need introduction. This is a post introduction podcast. Yeah, I'm I love so it. sorry, Raj. I, I thought Look, I, amazing. I'm in it. We're going. I'm in it. Go full Annie. Yeah, I this is full Annie. Annie. You're getting her because I'm thrilled to chat. Yes, we are going. My thoughts when it comes to soccer in the U.S. It feels like a slow moving train. I played growing up, so soccer's been in my life my whole life. But MLS was a slow uptick, especially in the South. Nashville just got, we just moved to MLS this year, which has been a ball. Why haven't you been down here for a game yet, Raj? Something called COVID and the oh, pandemic right. has kept me in my, pretty much I have not left this studio, <laughs> the confines of this studio in about 17 or 18 months. So, it's true. Uh, but were it not, believe me, I would be down there in a heartbeat and, um, and my Lord, I would uh, to have a, see a World Cup uh, qualifier in Nashville. I know, I can't It's going to be wait. a great day for your city, a great day for America. Will you explain that to everyone? Because this show is going to come out before that. Would you explain to our Nashville friends listening and anybody who can get here for that U.S.-Canada game, what does it matter that there's a World Cup qualifier in, in Nashville for us? I mean, football has, as you were saying, a slow build. It's story of my life and my deep, two deep loves are the love of America and the love of football. And I moved to America to fulfill a childhood dream. That's the dream I wrote my entire book about. The idea of America, the promise of America, the wonder of America. Um, and I did move here in 1993, right before the uh, World Cup was here in 1994. And the World Cup was meant to make this the last massive nation that did not had not fallen under football's sway was meant to overnight sensation it and make it like the pogo stick or the hula hoop or the the rubik's cube and we joke on our podcast men in blazers that soccer america's sport of the future as it has been since 1972 <laughs> you know it's always about to happen it's about but the reality to be, is, yes while soccer was about to happen, it has happened. You know, our women are back-to-back world champions. And if our men get to be about half as good as our women, which they almost are now, this yeah. is the golden era in which we're living, uh, then great things can occur. And the popularity of the sport, instead of being this overnight success, it's been a slow and steady build. While I've been here, I want to be clear, not because of me. I'm just a tiny surfer <laughs> riding a massive wave of many, many factors that have meant that this sport that was derided um, you know, when when the World Cup was awarded to America in 1994, I think it was awarded here in the late 80s, Kemp, Congressman Jack Kemp, himself a former NFL quarterback, famously took to the floor of Congress and said, I think it's very important, and I'm paraphrasing, but only a little bit, he said that we make a distinction for America's youth that football is where you pass it and rush with the ball and not kick it only with your feet because one is truly American and democratic and the other is European and socialist. I mean, that was like, that was like how football, when I arrived here, football was not just not interesting to Americans. They hated it. And that has slowly been whittled away. World Cup after World Cup, the popularity is growing. It's the perfect sport for the internet age in the same way as the NFL you know, took over from baseball as television. It was a perfect televisual sport. Baseball really thrived in the golden era of radio. So football, soccer has thrived in the internet era where you, Annie, can follow your team, Arsenal, as deeply and as, with as much passion as someone who uh, lived in the same zip code as their stadium. You can follow the intrigue, the gossip, the rumors, the injuries, the ins, the outs. And when I moved to America in 1993, before the internet, you know, I used to have my dad hold the phone uh, up to the radio in England and I'd have to call him to follow along with games. Oh, wow. But that, that has completely changed. And now as we sit here, Annie, America has become a proper football nation. World Cup football is coming to Nashville with this qualifier and Nashville is just a, I mean, it's a joyous footballing culture, which will rise up and, and embrace the U S team and hopefully watch them uh, onto victory. That's wild that you would call your dad because in your book, reborn in the USA, you, you wrote about how you would call the U S will you tell that story about how you and your best friend would just call Chicago phone numbers to hear about the bears. That story made me laugh, Raj. I mean, I grew up in Liverpool in the 1980s, and Liverpool is a magnificent city. Uh, but in the 1980s, it was a fairly dark place. The whole north of England was post-industrial. The mines had shut, the steel mills, the cotton mills. 
And Liverpool, this great port city, really had no meaning anymore in this post-industrial Britain. And unemployment soared. There was a heroin epidemic. There was real hopelessness took grip everywhere. And you know, if you've watched Billy Elliot, then you kind of get the picture. But I didn't ballet dance. Instead, I inhaled everything American. America saved me. It gave me sense by watching Fantasy Island, Heart to Heart, Miami Vice, Run DMC, Tracy Chapman. I, I learned to look at America as a source of inspiration, a source of joy, a source of human wonder. Well, life could be lived in, in with feeling, um, with meaning, in, in glorious technicolor, whereas I was living or doomed to live it in, in black and white. And so when the NFL crashed onto English shores on a very cult, I should say, it was not a popular sport. We <laughs> wow. watched football. In, English football was still a backwater then. It was muddy soccer. It was played on muddy fields by sad men who lived to kick each other and a hooligan culture, you know, where you really went to the game to get into a fight with other fans. So I saw this NFL thing on television, just New Orleans Saints fans, you know, their team were 14 and 0. No, they were 0 and 14. And I was like, you know, you're losing every game. Go and go and beat up the Atlanta Falcons fans. That's what you're meant to do. <laughs> Listen, and me. instead, instead they pulled on uh, paper bags over their heads and just said, we're the New Orleans Eights. And they made a joke out of it and kept having the time of their lives. And I realized sport could be about something more than winning. It could be about joy and community bonding and, and making memories across generations. So I was fascinated by this sport. I loved it. It was only on for an hour every Sunday. And it wasn't even that weekend's games. This is pre-internet to so the NFL gave us the weekend before games edited into a highlight package. Oh, mostly just a to, highlight reel. Yeah, mostly to Bonnie Tyler's holding out <laughs> for a hero. And so once I realized what I was watching was actually a week old, you know, I could not stand to think. I, I was in love with the Chicago Bears. They were on a Super Bowl tear that season. I, I could not stand to think of Walter Payton rushing with the ball without me knowing what the yeah. heck was going on in real time. And so I decided to go to my best friend's house because I couldn't do this at home. My dad would kill me. <laughs> and we would go to his bedroom and we did this week in, week out. We would just, during Bears games, we would call random strangers 312 numbers. That's the Chicago area code. And the phone would ring it, which in its own way was so giddy to hear oh, an American sure. dial tone. And then someone would answer inevitably and we'd, they'd be like, hello? And we'd be like, hello, how are the Bears doing? And God loves Chicagoans, the kindness of strangers. They would give us personal commentary, sometimes for like 45, 50 minutes. They'd be like, Walter Payton's got the ball. He's to the 20. He's to the... And that's how we would follow along um, with by the kindness of strangers briefing us play to play down the telephone to two English strangers. I just America. love that. I mean, the kindness of strangers is a little bit of a theme of your book. It feels like you keep running into people and you you do this too, Raj. I watch through Men in Blazers and through your work and you're doing it for me. I mean, we were strangers before this and you're coming on my show. It's a kindness to me. How does that play out in your life? How, can you see it as well as I can see it through reading your book that the kindness of strangers has been a theme in your life? Well, there is a, uh, I mean, I did arrive in America with knowing nobody and um, and having no family here. And um, I mean, it is kindness of strangers and 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 uh, and being passionate about something and people feeling that passion and, and reciprocating has been a joy. I mean, the one thing that really stands out for me is I was obsessed with America. I lived believing I was an American trapped in an English boy's body. One slight problem, I had never been to America and I'd actually never met an American my own age. We met two wonderful, weird New Jersey people once when uh, we were driving around the north of France and the, the mother was about 70. She had this incredible hair color that I've never seen before or since. <laughs> it was like purple. I was like, oh my God, that's a bit. I remember thinking as a kid, I was like 11. Is that natural? I asked my mother. She, my mum was like, I don't know. I've never seen that before. It must be American. <laughs> and the dad had this inexhaustible supply of, of Izod Lacoste shirts in different colours that were just, oh, my God, so fresh, so clean. And um, so I'd never met a Chicago, an American my own age. And then, bizarrely, just there happened to be one in the park. I hung out in the park in the summer or every day. And just in one day, there happened to be a Chicago in there, uh, a cousin of a, of a distant friend of mine. And it was just like, genuinely, it was like as if God had sent down tablets from the heaven and, and, and provided them to me. It, it, one day I didn't know any Americans. The next, an American from the very city that I obsessed about, who came from a suburb where John Hughes had made yeah. movies, you know, was there. 
And I was like, I have so many bloody questions. First of all, Reebok pump sneakers. Do they really make you a better basketball player? You know, I just unloaded every single question. Do cool, menthol cool cigarettes really make your breath amazing? I had like thousands of questions from just watching American movies, getting Rolling Stone, every album I'd ever heard from. And this incredible gentleman, Jeff Owen, then wrote to me every week for an entire year And then at the end of the year, he wrote to me and said, why don't you come to Chicago? Why don't you come spend the summer here on the northern suburbs at the beach? And honestly, it was as far I'd hardly been on a plane at that point in my life. It was as if someone had said, would you like to take a rocket to Venus or Mars? (laughs) And it is, Annie, it is the kindness of that. That trip changed my life. That trip made the notion, you know, William Refrigerator Perry, in my imagination, who I met the great Chicago bet, in my imagination told 15 year old to move to America. I think he was just trying to get away from me and just drop platitudes and cliches. Hey, kid, dream big dreams, kid. I did. You can too. But every step of the way, it's um, it's either people reaching out to me or me projecting that they were giving me life changing wisdom that's led to to me being on Annie Downs podcast. Hey friends, just interrupting this conversation real quick to share with you about another one of our incredible partners, Liquid IV. Y'all know how much I love a tank top and a hike at Radnor Lake, and they are both good for my soul. But you better believe that I'm not heading out on one of these hot summer afternoons without being well hydrated. Listen, one stick of Liquid IV in my water bottle hydrates faster and more efficiently than water alone. And they have some really fun summer flavors like watermelon and strawberry and lemon lime. They are so good, y'all. Around the office, You know we are about having our liquid IV every day just as part of a proactively staying hydrated and knowing that's a huge part of our overall health. I'm usually a morning liquid IV gal and I'm very partial to the acai berry flavor, though strawberry, guava, and passion fruit get a lot of love from the team as well. Liquid IV contains five essential vitamins, more vitamin C than an orange, less sugar than an apple, and as much potassium as a banana, and made with clean ingredients, which means it's healthier than sugary sports drinks. What makes Liquid IV so effective is their cellular transport technology. Isn't that cool? It's just a fancy way of saying that it has like optimal ratio of glucose and sodium and potassium to deliver water and nutrients into your bloodstream. And I love that they love to give back. They've donated over 11 million sticks to people around the world. So grab your Liquid IV in bulk nationwide at Costco, or you can get 25% off when you go to liquidiv.com and use the code that sounds fun at checkout. That's 25% off anything you order when you get better hydration today using the promo code that sounds fun at liquidiv.com. And now back to my conversation with Raj. What did you do the morning you woke up? And the book wasn't just like out in the world. It was the number one New York Times bestseller. I am a person, Annie, and I think you probably know this from listening to my podcast. I, I, joy is a rare emotion in my life. <laughs> and I, um, so I found out um, that it had hit that position on the New York Times bestseller list. At the, almost the very second, an England striker named Harry Kane had scored a goal that put England, hapless England, self-sabotaging England into the final of a major tournament for the first time since 1966. The second the ball went in, my phone blew up and I thought it was just people being excited for England, who I actually, to be candid, don't support. I'm all America now. Uh-huh. Um, but I looked down at my phone thinking it was just people being like, hey, England, England, England. And instead it was like everyone in publishing be like, holy crap. And so the, to be honest with you, the dominant emotion, and I don't know how many of your listeners feel this when they have a moment um, of wonder, human wonder in their life. I honestly felt then and I've only felt since. Um, number one, to write a book about America, which I have, the idea of America is the central idea around which I've organized my life. It's a beautiful idea. It's given me courage, joy, meaning, super complicated idea. Also, um, especially as I get older, you know, as a kid, it was very, it was a very, it was a deep passionate kids love that I actually acted upon um, and made the central idea in my life. And I wanted to write a love letter to America. And when you do that and bring it out into the world, you don't know how books are hard to, to bring to, you know, it's like yesterday's technology. It's like people are not, you know, books, lots of books come out and they're never opened. 
Um, so I felt humbled. I felt deeply humbled by the response. I have felt the ongoing response has been incredible. And it's deeply humbling to me as a new American to have Americans find deep meaning and joy in my American story. And then number two, I felt no joy. I only felt relief. I felt immense immense. To write a book is a deep sacrifice. Your family sacrifice. They lose you. They lose you to the book. It's, I, I wrote this book in a fever dream during COVID when the beloved city of my New York City shut down and was overwhelmed at the beginning of, of lockdown. Uh, and there was panic and fear and chaos and deep, deep and human uncertainty, profound uncertainty. And when the present was filled with challenge and sport stopped, I retreated into my past to happier memories. I think it's a very natural impulse. And I wrote the book in four months and hardly ever went outside. It was like a fever dream of writing. And so it was a big sacrifice, you know, my family, my kids, my my beautiful wife. And so I felt a deep relief that um, what they had uh, given me, which was a space to undertake this mad uh, task of writing my love letter to America, that it was all worth it. I hope other authors have told you this, but as a fellow author, I will tell you the it's not only a huge deal you hit number one, it's a huge deal you hit number one not on release week. Because what that actually, I'm sure someone has told you this, but I just want to be your friend and tell you again, what that means is so many people have liked it that they keep telling other people to buy it. And so I think that should make you feel some wonder that it wasn't just your super fans week one, it was your super fans reading it and then telling their friends this is a really good book. And it is a really good book, Raj. I felt very, very blessed in every way because um, to, to bring a book out about America and have America love that book yes. is uh, it's probably the most uh, humbling thing I've done as a, as a grown-up uh, adult professionally. I grew up across the street from my grandparents, much like you did right there. Will you talk for a few? A lot of our friends listening, you know, they're, they're raising kids. They are having the opportunity to have their kids near their own parents sometimes if it's healthy and good. It was great for me. Will you talk a little bit about how much it meant to you to grow up near your grandparents? With pleasure. Thank you for that question, Andy, because one of the joys, uh, there's been so many joys of bringing this book out into the world. The one I detailed, just America loving my American story. Number two, just the embrace of uh, American indie bookstores by our fans. They've really, they went out. American indie bookstores need our help more than ever. American indie bookstores are so much more than bookstores. They are centers of community. They pump out creativity and ideas into the towns and cities that surround them. And we asked our our, our listeners to please, if they're going to buy the book, which they did. By the way, pre-ordering a book for someone you know is the greatest human kindness. I'm only saying that because I, I benefited from it and I want to say that it's changed my... And it's a crazy thing to do, to buy a book months before you can even receive it. But my Lord, for any author, it matters massively. And they went to indie bookstores and it's a beautiful thing to do. All hail indie bookstores. And then the third thing is to honor the memory and bring back to life almost in honoring the memory of several people who are so dear to me. There's a mentor, a teacher I had that was oh, so deeply inspiring, yes. who saved my life. And I will we'll get to him. So I'm going to shut that. But to my grandfather who I was so close to. Annie, your, your question was was big picture. So Grandpa Sam, I will say, he's right behind me, right there on my set at all times with his war medals. And uh, I named my son Samson, so it's close enough, but he could be his own person and different. But the connection, all I can say is many of the, the people I am friendly with in my life, it turns out just serendipitously, but it's not serendipity, they were very close to their grandparents. And I think in any family, raising kids is incredibly hard, incredibly hard. And many of your listeners will know that. And the role grandparents can play, the, just the role of just love and joy and, you know, parenting, you can't, it's, you, you, my, it's a line in the book, actually. My dad at the end of the book said to me, because uh, I had to knuckle down in the end, and my dad really made me knuckle down. And when the things turned out, spoiler alert, they turned out all right for me. Uh, he said to me, he said, it's been a pain up the arse being your dad for the past four years, but I'm your father. I'm not your friend. Um, and the two things are very different. And I do think about that a lot. You know, in the modern time, it's, as a parent, you kind of want your kids um, approval all the time. Many of us do. It's very natural. 
But that having to do the hard things as a parent, the hard decisions, the hard judgments, the the ones that don't feel good at the time, but you have to take that road. I think the grandparents can fill that love vacuum and be just unadulterated joy and human wonder. And that's the way it was for me. I lived across the road from my grandfather. He was my best friend. I'd go over every afternoon, play chess with him, talk to him and my grandmother. And um, to bring him back to life through the book, I miss him every day has been and to be able to talk about him, um, to bring his, you know, to, to make his memory a blessing, not just for me, but for for thousands of people who've enjoyed the book is way it fills me with joy. Yeah, he seemed so lovely. I mean, I loved reading about it. I pictured him from the pictures you put in there, but it reminded me so much of my own life. Of, I mean, I moved out of my parents' house when I was 13 to move in with my grandparents for one day because I thought. I can't live here anymore. I have to go where I'm loved, you know? <laughs> yeah. I mean, that's, um, that's essentially it. So uh, he loved America too. Uh, you know, my great grandfather, um, was the family myth is was headed to Chicago and got off the boat, leaving Eastern Europe in Liverpool, uh, thinking he was in New York, got off the boat one stop early. So we always thought we were American. We were, and, and my grandfather, Sam, when things were dark in Liverpool, which they often were, would take off this Statue of Liberty, which he got on one of his many trips. It's just a tchotchke piece of plastic. Is that but the one him, you write about? Yeah, yeah, yeah. <gasps> and he'd take it off and he had this, and he also had this Empire State Building by his bed, which uh, has a beautifully bent spire, which somehow is very fitting. And he would like, he'd look at it and he'd say, Rodge, we should have lived there. We should have lived there. So he didn't just give me love, but he also reinforced that love of America and uh, much of the reason I'm here in the United States. I'm only sad that he never got to see me, never got to meet his American grandkids. He would have loved them. Um, But again, as I said, to bring his memory back into human conversation, to make him live again, is that that's the true joy of the book for me. How has that happened with, I mean, with so many of your friends you talk about in the book, you tell these great stories, like the guy who lives in Chicago. Has writing the book kind of rekindled any of those friendships or got, I mean, your old girlfriends, your, I mean, like people you went to school with, did you did you reconnect with a lot of them in writing this? Yeah, a lot of them, a lot of them. Um, it's been, again, another part of the journey has been reconnecting. And the funny part of it is I sent it to, um, one of the the gentlemen that's in the book, um, and he loved it. Uh, got right back to me, read it. It's quite a quick read. Um, he read it, I think, in two days, and um, and I got a very long email from me. He's one of my best friends from school, and he wrote in the email. I, I was terrified to show it to like a real person, and he wrote, first of all, I love it, love it, love it. Brought back so many memories, all that crap." And then he said, "I've got to tell you, I'm a bit hurt." Um, and a bit upset because I'm not in the book enough. <laughs> and um, and he said, I thought I thought I was a better friend um, than I'm obviously not. And all my memory, it was like really heartbreaking. He said, I, all my memories of being like with you every step of the way, like it doesn't read like that. And I said to him, oh, my Lord, mate, you need to know that like I am not Winston Churchill releasing a definitive 12 volume autobiography. This is um, essentially a highly edited through line with a very skillful editor who, you know, I said to him, there's chapters, that are whole chapters about you that hit the cutting room floor, yeah, which yeah. I think was very validating. But I thought that was <laughs> hilarious. I was worried that people would be like, oh, you're taking my memories and putting them out there. And instead, people were annoyed they weren't in it more. Yeah, it's good. Oh, I loved it. I want people to read the about your, your schooling experience. I, I've heard a lot of people interview you about it and just say, it's was painful and really sad, but one of the questions I'd love for you to talk about, if you don't mind is how has your experience and kind of a bullying experience in school in a lot of ways and a pretty hard schooling experience, how has that affected your parenting? How does that affect how you're raising your kids? It's a great question. So I I went to an English private school um, in the 1980s where England still in those settings thought it was the 1930s and England still had an empire. Children should be seen and not heard. And teachers, mostly old sadistic teachers who've been there forever, teaching us Greek and ancient history and First World War poems, uh, were able to cane us to, uh, to, to, for any minor infraction. We got hit a lot and you'd come home you come home bleeding and your mum wouldn't be like, oh my God, what happened to you? Said she'd be like, oh, were you a naughty boy, Roger? And it was it. What, what passed as normal was was ridiculous uh, from today's standards. I will say, 
I mean, this is a podcast that touches upon faith. I think one of the things that happens when you are in a nonsensical, surreal, ridiculous setting, um, you do you do fall upon a sense of humor as a uh, uh, as a life preserver. And I think the fact is, I, uh, the bullying it was just a way of life for everybody. So it wasn't I was singled out, um, and we all developed an incredible. I think a lot. Liverpool's a very funny city. It's known as a place that provides you know, dozen overweight of comedians in, in England. And a lot of it's be, uh, from, from suffering um, and challenge. But the, um, the, the question of how I bring up my own kids is, is uh, I, a lot of how I have tried to parent is by, by deconstructing the way I was, um, I was raised and to, I mean, there was so much that was good. My mother was just an incredible source of empathy. I mean, a deep, deep, deep source of human empathy. Um, and, and my dad was a man, he's a man of, still is a man of uh, many, many passions and uh, a gentleman that tries to make memories by doing things with people, which is a wonderful experiential way to be. So I, there's a lot I carry over. But when you read the book, I, I think you see in the school setting, there was a, a lot of how not to. So most, I'd say 90% of, of the non-parenting uh, parts for my own parents, I do, I try and do the exact opposite. Yeah, that that feels like, when I think about even my our peers who are raising kids, there's the, so many people got bullied in the 80s and 90s in ways that schools didn't quite know how to protect us from. or And, and so- when you carry that into your adult life, you get to choose how that helps you raise the people you're raising. I think so, and I think the you know parenting has changed um, since our um, since our upbringing. And I think for your listeners, just the key that was never the key is just the the ability to maintain communication with your kid, to uh, build a relationship where conversation and um, and being honest and vulnerable. Um, are actually strengths um, as opposed to being perceived as weaknesses is the is 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 like the the way to be. That's beautiful. Okay, let's talk about Mr. McNally, your teacher that you loved. Oh, Raj, I just was when I read what you wrote in the back to his wife. That's when I cried. I didn't tear up when you were telling me about the teacher when you talked about him at the end. Oh my gosh! I mean, he sounded like the guy from Dead Poet Society. Oh, he's, he's an amazing man. He was an amazing. So we had a common room that was like a Star Wars cantina of, <laughs> of, of sadists, just awful, awful human being who mostly, I realized, had pretty awful upbringings. Many of them actually went to the, my school themselves. And so we're almost repeating, yeah, repeating the behaviors that they'd suffered through to, uh, to try and heal a trauma that could not be. No matter how many kids you beat, that would not heal your trauma. Um, and in strode Mr. McNally, who's a giant man, first of all, just a giant bearded human wonder. And he was an Irish uh, guy who just a young guy when he, he began to teach. And he had a completely different mentality, which was informed by a year he'd spent actually in America that he talked about all the time. He spent a year, not, not quite sure exactly what he did, but he was on the Cape which he kept referring to. And I did a Boston public radio hit the other day and they loved it. They kept calling it, he calls it, he used to call the Cape, the card. And, <laughs> yeah. he'd, 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 and he'd walk into class and he just, you'd hear his voice outside the room. He'd be like, lads, what do you want to talk about today? And we'd all shout life, sir. Tell us about <laughs> life. And he would, he'd tell us stories. He'd be, he'd be like free, th free thinking, be an individual. What was he supposed oh. to be teaching you? Math or science? Economics. Economics. Okay. But he, he actually, he actually taught us how to game the economics uh, <laughs> exams. Like it, he taught you, he taught us there's a system. Yeah. I'm going to teach you. I'm going to teach you how to succeed, which is not the old way, which is just to, you know, to try and torture yourself. Here, let's game the system. We all got A's because of him. Um, but so he wasn't that worried about the teaching part. He's like, guys, we'll get to that. Let's talk about life while we're here. And even the even the kid who just wanted to burn his textbooks at the back, you know, would sit up and fire away. Tell us about the cod, sir. Tell us about the cod. And he'd tell us these stories about life. And his key message was always, "We are, Liverpool was rotting away. Liverpool was filled with hopelessness. Unemployment soared. There was a heroin epidemic. And he was just like, lads, we are a seafaring people. We look out to sea. We know there's more out there in the world. Dream, but don't just dream. Chase your dreams. Act upon them. And... To hear that, to hear these stories about being individual, 
work out who you are and then pursue it. It's all, by the way, all that's how we live a life now. But to hear that then in our context was, I think I write in one point, it was as thrilling as it like, it, like sticking your fingers into an electrical socket. It was radical. And this human being, uh, I mean, here's the, the amazing thing about him because, you know, we did become a little wild. The class did lose their way. You know, the Beastie Boys album, first album came out and mayhem ensued. And he saved my life, both filling me with ideas, but ultimately towards the end of the book, after the Beastie Boys themselves come to town and uh, and started a riot in Liverpool, they ended in police charging us and tear gas. He picked me up. It's a scene in the book that I won't ruin, but he singled me out to tell me that I was going down a pathway that was not going to end well, for which I'm eternally grateful. And he did it by picking me up in a very bodily yeah, way. Yeah. And I, I wrote to his wife um, when he passed away, which he did at a sadly young age, that the true greatness of Mr. McNally was that he knew how to teach us, like treat us like men. But he also knew uh, when we needed to be treated like little boys, which which we were. And he knew uh, both of those. And that's ultimately why I respect him and I'm so grateful to him. And the piece that you're talking about, about his wife, he, he was a man who loomed so large, not just for me, but for so bloody many of us. This was a man who taught us to dream, to act, to think, to three things, radical ideas in our setting. And uh, he passed away. And I wrote her a note, and I regret because it took me a couple of months. To take. It was one of those jobs that I put off and put off. Um, and then I wrote her a letter. So she'd had some time to grieve and, and, and move on. I think it actually took six or seven months, if I'm being all, uh, honest, which is awful. I wrote her a letter, and she wrote back a beautiful letter uh, where I, I detailed my whole interaction with him, um, which really forms the a core of the book, ultimately. And she wrote back and she said, thank you for sending these. It lifts my spirits because the more time that goes on, the more my greatest fear is that uh, Chris never even existed because his memory will just be forgotten in time and fills me with incredible happiness that I hope that this book plays a, a small role in assuaging that fear for Mrs. McNally. Hey friends, just interrupting this conversation one more time to tell you about another amazing partner, Brooklinen. I don't know about where you are, but these days are still hot and sunny around Nashville, and it doesn't really cool down that much at night, which can mean being too uncomfortable to get any good rest. But enter Brooklinen. Brooklinen was started to create beautiful, high-quality home essentials that don't cost an arm and a leg. And y'all, I'm just going to go ahead and call it a success. They have done it. Brooklinen works directly with manufacturers to make luxury available directly to you without the luxury level markup. So you get their amazing products, but at a reasonable price. Brooklinen has something for every comfort need, ideal for a seasonal refresh because they are launching new products, colors, and patterns all the time. I'm talking super cozy and cool and breathable sheets, plush and absorbent towels, cozy robes. Y'all know we love an office robe around here and beautiful loungewear that you want to put on and never take off. They are so confident in their core products, y'all, that they come with a 365-day warranty. And their customers are confident, too. They've given Brooklyn an over 75,000 five-star reviews and counting. And their customer service is incredible. I love my Brooklyn and sheets so much. They're soft. They keep me cool. And they're the most comfy part of my going-to-bedtime routine. So give yourselves the comfort refresh you deserve and get it for less at Brooklinen. So go to brooklinen.com and use the promo code that sounds fun to get $20 off with a minimum purchase of $100. That's B-R-O-O-K-L-I-N-E-N.com and enter promo code that sounds fun for $20 off with a minimum purchase of $100. That's brooklinen.com, promo code that sounds fun. And now back to finish the conversation. I taught elementary school. I taught fourth and fifth grade a lot of years ago before I was into this world. And I just thought, man, how many of our teachers listening hope that one kid remembers them the way you remember Mr. McNally? How incredible is it that I have a photograph? By the way, that photograph I took of him. It was like, <gasps> you when, when you're a, yeah, when you're a 16, 17 year old kid, you don't, you want to burn the school down and get the heck away from it. Yeah, which, by the way, I did. I did. I still dream of buying the school and then just closing it. But I, I did want to get the heck away from it. I absolutely did. I wanted to get so far away from it. 
But my Lord, I just on the way out as I was charging out, there he was. And I knew, I knew, I knew. And this is before cell phones. This is when photos were, yeah, I mean, what he, what does he look like to you in that photo? How would you describe um, this human he being? He looks really burly. You're right. He looks Irish, even though it's not in color. He looks like a burly Irish guy. This is, I probably know too much because I've read the book, but he looks like he'd tell you to break the rules. But like not not the rules of school, but the rules that the world told you you had to follow. It looks like he would tell you to break the world's rules. You look in his eyes, and there's a, yeah. even in black, even in black and white, of yeah. a of an old photo. There's there's a twinkle there. There's so much life. There's a mischief and a human wonder. And I hope all of your listeners approach life with a mischief and a human wonder. Yeah, and and gosh, I just think how many of our friends listening that are teachers get to start this school year and go, maybe one of these kids, yeah, one, one of them will remember, I'll do something this year that's mischievous and wonderful. And I will tell those little boys to quit being little boys and to be men. And they'll remember, they'll remember and write it in a book someday. That's wild. How do you write about your school knowing it still exists and how terrible they were to students? I mean, how does the school feel about all this? I've not asked it. Yeah, I was wondering if you'd called anybody. And I mean, been like, the school is so different now. Education is so different. The school is so different. It's a wholly different institution. The funny thing is, someone sent me today over Twitter. There's a, um, there's, there's a on Wikipedia apparently there's a um, a page of my school is called Liverpool College, and people who went there um, are called Old Lapulians. And there's a list on Wikipedia of famous old Lapulians. And I, and I am on it underneath the ah, man. I can't remember his name, but his name is something like Richard Forrester. So it says Roger Bennett, broadcaster, journalist, America. And then underneath it, it's something like Richard Forrester. That's not his real name. I'm making that one up. Richard Forrester, murderer. Oh, no. <laughs> <laughs> You're like, I need to be above that guy. <laughs> That's it. I made it. I made it. I'm on that. I'm on that with a murderer. We're very proud, We're very proud of all of That's our right. students. Uh, Raj, for all of us that are listening that have only been Americans, I lived in Edinburgh, Scotland for a while. But other than that, I've only lived in America. And most of us listening have only lived in America. What do you know that we don't know? Tell me about America. Give me hope that we don't have as people who've only ever lived here. I don't like to speak for all of your listeners. Um, so I can't address that absolutely completely. But I will say this. Um, and it's really that epilogue of my book is that what I've done that many of your listeners may not have done is I've become American. I have put my hand up uh, and said the oath of allegiance. I fulfilled the dream. I was, I need your listeners to know, like, I painted the Manhattan skyline on one of my bedroom walls. There's a picture of it in the book. It actually looks more like Warsaw upon further awesome. reflection. But to me, it was, it was Manhattan. The Statue of Liberty was there. I grew up, you know, every night before I go to bed, I'd fix the curtain so the light shone perfectly on Lady Liberty's face. And I'd dream of going to America which I think is a very common dream. I think a lot of people dream of being somewhere that they're not. One of the things that's interesting about the book is how many Americans have said to me, oh my God, I dreamt about growing up in LA of moving to living in Manchester and being yeah. like the Smiths. Yeah. And I think that, and I was like, oh my Lord, you you, you dodged a bullet. But the, the, it's hit me that this impulse as a teen and adolescent to, to wish yourself to be a different person living in a different place where people laughed at your jokes and thought you were awesome and you dressed so cool in a way you couldn't in your real life. I think that's very common. But the thing that's not common is I acted upon it and I, I, I moved to the, the the city that is painted was painted on my bedroom wall. And then I became that. I became an American, the greatest day of my life, July 2018. And so to answer your question, to stand in that courtroom, to put my hand up, to say the oath with 162 individuals from from 42 different nations, many of whom... You know, I, I had survived a couple of beatings and, you know, school and uh, Liverpool um, uh, tomfoolery, darkness. But many of these people had survived civil war and conflict and famine and worse. And when you share those stories, the one thing that you tap into is the power of the American idea. It's the idea that saved my life. All of these people in that room at different times in their life, when they were in darkness, when they were challenged, when they were overwhelmed by their reality, the idea of America, it's not the reality of America. The reality of America is a different conversation, but the idea of America gave them confidence, gave them hope, gave them belief, gave them courage when they needed it. It did me. 
Um, and that's why I'd say, and I tap into that, being in that room, I tap into that optimism, I tap into that human goodness, I tap into that sense of wonder. And that's the spirit that I hope in which I offer up this book to America. It's beautiful, Raj. It's one of the first books I've read by an immigrant that I had already felt like I was friends with. And so it just was, it was a really fun thing to read. So I'm thankful you wrote it. Thank you. Let's talk one second about Premier League. Get everybody ready for the season coming. It's coming. Yes, the Premier League, America, it's coming. It feels like it's only just it less just, come. Yeah, I mean, it's I like, oh my Lord. I mean, the the just the breakneck pace post-COVID of sports, just trying to jam everything in. Right. Um, Are Premier League guys playing in the Olympics right now or no? A couple of them, yeah. Okay. Uh, I mean, so it's in the sports has just become an incessant carousel of human wonder. Um, and if you want to watch the a telenovela is really what the Premier League is, the greatest telenovela acted out live. But they say it's written without a script, but, but I don't believe them. Men in Blazers are the GFOPs like me. We believe they're script writers. I'm pretty, I'm pretty sure there is a script writer. I mean, what we what I, what I realize is, and watching the Olympics, you know, watching this, um, the moments take place before our eyes, watching the Euros this summer. Really, why we watch sports is for the moments of transcendent meaning that actually transcend sports themselves. It's a funny concept. We watch sports for the moments that transcend sports. And I do think the Premier League, with its global culture, with its the, you know, the culture, the identity challenges, the complexity of, of modern day wonder, just the stakes, the money, the global integration of everything... It's just the greatest set of human storylines in uh, in every way. And, you know, I watch football for to feel things, to feel alive, to feel a sense of, particularly in lockdown, to watch and feel a sense of human connection um, and to make meaning um, and to ultimately make collective memories. That's what we do when we watch sports across generations. To me, the Premier League is is the greatest single way um, to do that. And I cannot wait for it. I'm genuinely counting down the days so till it's back in our loving arms. Yes. So for our friends listening who don't have a Premier League team, what's a fun one to start with? I mean, you and I both have personal answers, but what's an easy one to grab onto? Many of your listeners are individuals of faith. Um, and I'd say, well, Everton Football Club is a <laughs> is a remarkable starter club. Uh, it's a club that I am third generation Everton fan. And, you know, faith and having your faith tested constantly, but making sure that you've trans, you, you perseverance. Keep the yeah, theologically, <laughs> it is just a wonderful leap into the darkness, a leap of just belief and passion. And and most of all, a club of deep community. You know, I did I shot a film of Everton Football Club with an incredible human being called Speedo Mick. It's a long story, but this is a, a character of the club who goes around freezing clubs all over Britain to watch Everton. He goes only in a speedo. He's a a former addict turned charity uh, figure who's raised a fortune from opposing fans as he walks around every stadium in just his speedos. Um, And as he pointed to me when we made the film, he said, we're not always very good on the field. He goes, but off it, where it matters, in the terms of the community we build, in terms of the work the club does for the community that surrounds it, in terms of education, caring for the elderly, caring for the sick, the less privileged. He said, we always win off the field where it matters. And I believe that deeply. There's no more authentic or, you know, this is just, you've invited me to do an, uh, an infomercial for that's Everton Football Club, Eddie Downs. I love it. But that's it. That's why I love the club so much. Okay, Everton. They have they have become my number two only because of men and blazers. I just, I do care. I do care. Okay, Raj, is there anything we didn't talk about that you want to make sure we cover today? I am delighted. I feel like we've done a, we've we've covered it all. We've gone from um, being beaten up in school all the way through to uh, transcendent moments of life, which is why, you know, why we watch sports and pretty well everything in between, Annie. We did it. Well, I am uh, very thankful that you're here and you're welcome back anytime, Raj. Um, let's do the last question. Because the show is called That Sounds Fun, tell me what you do for fun. Oh, what do I do for fun? I have four kids, Annie, um, and they're just being with them is genuinely the joy of my life. They're all like different human colors to me, colors of the uh, of the spectrum. And um, I mean, mostly I think a lot about life as being very short. I'm very aware there was in, in the Euros, the football contest this this summer, there was a gentleman in the first game. You may have heard of him, Christian Eriksen. 
um, a footballer, an elite footballer in the prime of his life, 29 years of age, who collapsed um, while playing very early on in the game and actually had a heart seizure so severe that it, the, the medical trainers later said, we lost him, we lost him on the field. Uh, they brought him back. He is alive and and well. And that moment, it was a moment of horror uh, that forced us all, as we watched sports, to escape life. It actually forced us all to confront the, the truth of life, which is life is fragile. Life is utterly fragile. Life is short. Nothing should be taken for granted. You have things and then you don't have things. And I believe deeply in trying to make uh, make every moment matter. I really do. Make every moment matter. Make memories, consciously make memories that that, that will last for you and those that you love. And so mostly I really try and focus um, focus on that, that kind of human joy and the joy um, that can be experienced through family. Yeah, that's beautiful. Thank you. Well, I am really, really thankful for you for today. You brought me that kind of joy. What a treat. I'm really appreciative. I wish you joy. I wish your city joy. I wish your football club joy. And next time we will meet in person and we will rock it to you with great gratitude, courage. Oh, you guys, isn't he awesome? I could not think more highly of Raj. I've just been a fan for so long. I love the way he talks about soccer, but as he talked about in the show, it is just an opportunity to talk about life and to learn more about what we're feeling and thinking. And I'm just really thankful for him. If you enjoyed this conversation, grab a copy of Roger's book, Reborn in the USA. Now, I'll give you a heads up. While this conversation was clearly like good for all of us, um, his book is probably PG, PG-13. It like talks about teenage life. And, and so I just want to give you a heads up as you are thinking about getting that book. And it is a really interesting read, a beautiful memoir. Um, you also should be listening to Men and Blazers and watch it and Make sure you follow Raj Bennett on Twitter, on Instagram, wherever you want to find him. And tell him thanks so much for being on the show. It really meant a ton to me. And I learned a lot in this conversation. If you need anything else from me, you know I'm embarrassingly easy to find. Annie F. Downs on Instagram, Twitter, Facebook, all the places you may need me. That's how you can find me. And I think that's it for me today, friends. Go out or stay home and do something that sounds fun to you. I'll do the same. Have a great couple of days. And we'll see you back here on Friday with my friends from Crosspoint Music, Mike Grayson and Cheryl Stark. We'll see y'all then. Yeah.